Welcome in to the Keon Sports Network. Today, a very special guest, Northeast Ohio St. Edwards legend, Gray Maynard. Also, clearly you remember him from the UFC, a lot of people would and do. So really the best of both worlds here, as you know, we focus a lot on the UFC and MMA, and we focus a lot on local athletes. This combines it all. Up next, Gray Maynard. Welcome into the Keon Sports Network. I am your host, Vince McKee. Today's guest, Gray Maynard. As I just said, a lot of people know him from St. Ed's, Edwards, however you want to call it. But clearly, he made his name worldwide on the national scale with the UFC and continues to really be a living legend amongst fighters. Um, you know, one of those guys who came up through the ranks uh, and was just incredible. Some of the names he beat along the way. Absolutely amazing. So it's an honor of ours today to go ahead and have Gray on the program. If you have any questions, uh, you know, let us know. Vince McKee, CoachVin14 is the email, and we'll be happy to answer them. Up next, Gray Maynard. All right, on the hotline now, uh, Northeast Ohio sensation. You know him, you love him. Also from the UFC, it is Gray Maynard. Gray, welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I want to start right from the right from the top with you. You come from a wrestling family as your father, your father Jan, was a two-time OHSAA state champion. So wrestling's been in your blood your whole life. When did you start the sport, and how much of an influence was your father in the process of you learning the sport? Yeah, we lived in Ohio when I was uh, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, and uh, yeah, my dad he was known all over the place. He was a two-time state champ, and and. Um, you know, I started wrestling at a pretty young age. It was probably like three or four um, over in Copley. And then, uh, you know, just kept taking it from there. He he was never really one to push me, you know, to keep – there was years like I would take off, you know, and play football and, and just played a lot of different sports. But he would always instill – you know, and, and kind of tell me stories like about, you know, all the greats and, and, uh, you know, he just, he just, um, really bred me well, you know, like of the knowledge before he even kind of taught me a move, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I attribute like a lot of my success and my drive to him. You know, your father's success in the in the OHSAA, you know, in the OHSAA, we deal with that all the time. Um, we are the leader in high school coverage out here in Northeast Ohio, so we you know we, we see athletes of all kinds, all sports. Now, for your father, like you said, kind of living legend at that time, two-time state champion. So you're living in Las Vegas at this point, finishing up your sophomore year of high school. What was the decision, and why did you decide to to be moved back here to Ohio to go to Saint uh, Saint Edward? for your junior and senior year, obviously they're, they're still a powerhouse to this day. What was the motivation? How did it all go down for you? Yeah, well, um, you know, again, there was a lot of schools popping up at the time, like back in his day, you know, uh, you had Maple Heights, which was a powerhouse and, and, uh, but there was a lot of schools popping up all over the country. And, um, you know, he was a big believer that Ohio is the best. And, um, and, you know, I remember before my 10th grade year, I just wanted to test myself. You know, I wanted that test. I wanted to go up against all the best. And um, before my 
before my 10th grade year, you know, um, like we made a deal. He said, if you win state and you run through everybody, get good grades, you know, uh, we'll get you to a place to where you can go up against the top guys, you know, and we looked at, we looked at Calvary Chapel a little bit and, and Blair, but St. Ed's always kind of stood out, you know, and I don't know if it's, um, we grew up, he took me to the St. Ed's duels a couple times and, and, um, you know, that just always kind of stood out just being, just being a state champion, like in a state where he was a state champion, um, that was a big deal to us. And, uh, um, but he, he, he really didn't try to steer me either way. He wanted what was best for me, but that was what was best for me, you know, which, uh, you know, it was great. And, uh, he kept to his deal and, and, uh, you know, like we made it happen. I packed up my car after 10th grade year and, and, uh, you know, all the great Ohio people, you know, and that, you know, I jumped around a lot of houses kind of lived with my aunt and uncle, lived with Cole Sickies, uh, you know, Andy Rovat, you know, his parents helped out a lot, you know, everybody helped out, you know, and, uh, um, you know, I, I owe a lot to all those people. Hey, and what a class it was, you know, we talked a little bit off the air, but you know, one, one name that jumps off and I, I know the name you just said, and there's some, several other ones. It was a big name class there, but one, a lot of people know, from his days now, ironically enough, in the, in the WWE, is your classmate and your teammate, Nick Nemeth. What was it like wrestling along, alongside Nick? And, you know, did you kind of just figure, did you ever think, like, he would be go on to be at the WWE? I mean, you know, St. Ed's is known for some big names, but yeah. it's just crazy to think that that one wrestling team now has a professional wrestler and one of the, you know, top MMA guys of his time. Yeah. We, um, uh, Coach Heffernan, uh, he nicknamed him the shark and it was because of like the funky move he did. He would just do these like weird moves. And honestly, like, um, yeah, I kind of whooped his ass (laughs) every day in practice, but he was one of the most annoying guys to wrestle because of that. Like there was nothing, you know, standard about him, but, um, uh, he was just, you know, you had to work for every point. And, um, uh, he was just one of those guys that was, uh, you know, a tough guy to train with. And he was a pretty tough guy to, to compete against, you know, he went on to Kent state and he did great things in the sport. Um, now as far as the WWE, he was always into that. Um, he, he would have people over him and Tolar Tolar. He was uh, on the team too. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, they would have, they would have people over, you know, for, um, you know, WWE night or whatever it was. I never made it over there. I just, I was never into it, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy team. We had Olympians, we had NCAA champions. We had, you know, all Americans, a ton of all Americans. We had a ton of D ones, you know, and, uh, and, you know, it showed. We ran through everybody in the country. Oh, absolutely. And that brings me to your senior year. You know, um, I actually grew up in a wrestling family. My Uncle Pete took second in the state in uh, 76. My dad took fourth in, uh, I think it was 75. So, you know, wrestling is in my blood. And I know the unbelievable sacrifice 
it takes people to wrestle. I don't think a lot of people get it, but you know, I will swear to anybody on this earth that amateur high school and college wrestling is the toughest sport you could send your kid out for. There's no tougher sport than that. And I, I will go to my grave saying that. Now you, yeah. you, your junior year, you, you finish runner up in the state and then you come back your senior year. Not only do you win the state title, but I'm almost positive on this one that you, you were perfection. I don't think you lost a single match your senior year of high school. How much motivation was it losing, you know, becoming runner-up as a junior? How much motivation did that come give you to come back and just kick serious ass your senior year? You know, and, like, it goes back to, I think every kid should compete in wrestling. You know, I think that's that's hands down. We learn about team sports, and we're always on team sports, but it, it, it really helps kids to understand what you put in is what you get out. And I think there's no better sport to do than wrestling. You're going out, you're going out like on the mat alone, and uh, you know you start to understand like you know it becomes it becomes crystal clear of what you put in, right? Like, oh, okay. I'm here alone and, and it's all up to me, you know, did I work hard? Did I, did I eat smart? You know, did I do all the stuff that I need to do to achieve? And, um, you carry that into life. And, um, you know, again, like wrestling is a sport to where, uh, you know, it's, it's all dreams and goals. I mean, there's no professional sport you know, afterwards. Uh, so we were doing this because of the love of the sport, because, uh, we wanted to be the best and, and you have the dreams and the goals and, uh, you know, you get addicted to the work ethic and the payoff and, um, you know, moving like uprooting my whole life and like moving away from my parents, uh, after my 10th grade year, you know, it was, it was hard on my parents. It was hard on me. And, you know, I felt a little, um, like I let people down my junior year, you know, took second in the state, I lost to a couple, um, you know, a couple of good kids in the country. Uh, it was just one of those years to where I realized like I got what I wanted, which is to go up against all the top guys in the country. And so what happened was it was, it was, it was like those two paths, like, Hey, you know what? I could just move home. I could just, just be happy. I'm, I'm competing with the top kids, but, um, you know, I think that drove me more than anything was, you know, to come back and approve why I belong there and why I was there, which was to beat all the, you know, to beat all the top kids. You know, upon graduation at, at MSU, you know, you're a Sparty. You ranked 11th all-time in, in Michigan State University history with 106 career wins, 7th with 26 falls. You know, why do you feel that your time at, at MSU, Michigan State, was, was so good? And, you know, also, what was it like having uh, a guy like Rashad Evans as a roommate to push you? I mean, you and him coming out of the same dorm room, I, I can't even imagine. You know, girls were probably running one way and men running the other away from you. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a couple good stories about that, but uh, f- uh, first, you know, I'll get a little serious. Like that wasn't what I expected in college, right? I wanted a lot more, um, like in college and out of my college career. So, so at the time graduating, it, it wasn't 
it wasn't, um, it's kind of how I felt my junior year, you know, not achieving the goals and not beating all the top, you know, like, like all the top guys, um, you know, I had a great time at college. I, you know, like I met a lot of people who I keep in touch with still, uh, it was a great school, but you know, as far as wrestling, um, you know, I just didn't achieve what, what I really think I should have achieved. And, um, you know, that, that keeps you hungry and, you know, it keeps you, um, you know, putting new goals and, uh, you know, eventually like it put a new goal of being the best in the world in MMA. And, um, uh, you know, but Rashad, he was, he was, we were pretty close. Um, we, we had a lot of good times and, uh, we stayed in, uh, hotels together and, uh, here's a quick story, but, um, we were staying in a hotel. It was my senior year in Champaign, Illinois. And, uh, we kept the scale in our room because we were team captains and, and, uh, we just didn't want to walk to anybody's room to check our scale. We kept the door like unlocked where people could come in and go and, and check their weight. And, um, I remember it was like 2 AM and I'm sleeping and, you know, I hear the door open and I'm like, man, somebody must be like really cutting weight hard. They're yeah. checking their, their weight at 2 a.m. <laughs> and then I feel a person crawl in bed with me. <laughs> and I go, dang, they must be really cut weight. They can't even make it back to their room. And then I smell alcohol. Oh, no. And so this is all stuff going through my head as I'm waking up. And I smell alcohol over them. I'm like, oh, dude, this is our trainer. He must have, <laughs> like, got drunk and, and went to the wrong room. And... um and then I, I wake up and I turn over and like, I see this guy, I don't even know who he is. <laughs> so I jump up, I go, Rashad, Rashad, get up, get up. And we both get up. We're like, who, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? And, um, you know, he started, he's looking at us like we're in his room and I, and he see, and like in college I had, uh, like no two front teeth. My teeth got knocked out during wrestling and and then you see like Rashad Evans 174 pounder we're all pretty like you know built and and yeah. just like ready to go we got our hands up like yo what what are you doing and um and so he starts like getting up and he gets out of the bed and he's completely naked with black socks on <laughs> so we're like yo dude get out of here what are you doing and he's like so confused and we kind of start to understand like that you know we're not going to beat up this guy because he you know he messed up we're like put your clothes on and then he starts trying to put my pants on and I, I'm slapping his hands like get off my pants stop drop my pants don't touch them and uh and then we threw him a little towel and then all of a sudden we hear the door open and we see this woman, obviously his wife, like she must have heard us like yelling and, she, and um, you know, she just opens the door, looks at him, 
tells him to come here, doesn't say a word, and they leave without even even saying a word. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Rashad like look at each other and we're like, what? <laughs> what just happened? We just saw this guy completely naked with black socks on. Oh man, wasted out of his mind. <laughs> oh god, that that is hilarious. Yeah, so uh there's a there's a story about a girl and a guy running from us. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. You know, so it, it, it's great, too, because now, you know, I've been in quarantine all these months. It's just nuts. And I'm, I'm sitting around and watching all these old UFCs and Ultimate Fighters and everything. So I got to ask you now, um, your first, uh, you know, your first kind of spotlight on the main stage, obviously, was being a part of the UFC's Ultimate Fighter. Did you go on that show, you know, for a chance to train with, like, you know, BJ Penn? Or did you go on because Rashad Evans had already been on there and, and obviously you guys were friends. How, what led you getting on that show? Um, me and Rashad kept in touch, um, like after college, you know, just kind of emailing. Um, he, he started MMA a little bit before me. I was down in Arizona training for the Olympic team. And, um, you know, I kept telling him to come out. There's a bunch of, uh, MMA guys and, and uh, you know he got on that show that was after I moved back to Vegas but um, you know ultimately I went on that sh- the show because you know again I wanted to go compete like against all the best guys and that was my way in you know they just brought back the 55 pound weight class mm-hmm. and um I had trained with BJ Penn. Um, he flew me out to Hawaii for about three weeks to help him with, with uh, some wrestling skills and, and, and stuff during uh, his training camp for Rodrigo Gracie. And um, and we kind of hit it off there, you know, and I caught the MMA bug and, uh, you know, saw Rashad on there. And, you know, I knew that, that um, you know, it was a good opportunity to to get into the sport to compete against the top guys. You know, pride was still around. It was it was um, you know, pride was like one of the big ones that kind of got me you know like hooked on to MMA just because um, it was in Japan. The show was pretty crazy and, and there was a lot of characters, but um, you know, it was, uh, it was a little bit tough to get out there. And uh, the TV show, um, it was just a lot easier um, for me to get on. You know, and it's amazing because it is a TV show. And again, you take the, the most grueling sport there is in MMA and you try to put it on TV, and with anything, there's producers, you know, and they're right. they're they're only going to show what they're going to show. Couple yeah. couple couple questions for you here, and then you know we'll kind of get into your career. And I appreciate you taking the time today with okay. all of this. I, I I had to cover your background just because again I'm from Northeast Ohio, and I just really wanted to <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. So, um, but look, so here's the thing. So why do you think a guy you know like Gabe Rudiger who was on that show wouldn't take such a golden opportunity more serious? I will never forget the scene, you know, it's you and BJ, and I forget if there's a third person, but I know for sure it's you and BJ, and you're trying to help this guy make weight all hours of the night, you know, in a, in a sauna. Um, like, why do you think, you know, this is such a huge opportunity for so many people, not many people get the chance to do it. What do you, I mean, was it like the producers, or was he just a knucklehead, or what happened there? 
You know, like I think Gabe Rudiger, he was the type of guy that uh, he was pretty decent in MMA, but he was almost too smart for his own good, right? And uh, he just tried to find a loophole to get his name out there because, you know, again, it's getting your name out there. It's 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 uh, getting people to watch you, um, you know, and uh, there's a quote like, in MMA is, um, you know, I remember Josh Koscheck, he was talking to a person like a high up, you know, in the brass and, and, uh, you know, he's like, why is everybody booing me, man? This, this, this is terrible. He goes, he goes, the only thing worse is if people do nothing, you know, so you try to get that, that, you know, and that's when people start becoming the felons and, and, you know, people becoming, you know, a guy that people don't like, you know, is, um, you know, to get their name out there. And, you know, I think he, he was going for that loophole and, um, you know, ultimately it backfired up, you know, pretty bad, like on him because everybody kind of looked at it like why why is he doing this you know why doesn't he just add a little bit in but but still like compete because he was pretty good in mma but he he must have made a choice like right when he got on there that you know he was just gonna try to get as much air time you know like as possible yeah yeah i would tell the teammates you know too i was like whatever you put out there they can spin that any way to make you look good, bad, whatever it is. But but you're putting it out there. They can clip it all. They can do whatever they want. Um, you know, it's a reality TV show, but it's anything but reality. We're not training right. The cameras are there. You know, um, it's just, you know, it is what it is. And, and, and people get caught up in the moment and don't understand the repercussions, you know, it can happen yeah no doubt about it i mean here we are you know 10 years later whatever it is and me and you are sitting here talking about some guy who wanted to eat ice cream cake instead of train i mean that's how right. you know like what the hell like that's yeah, that's yeah. not what you think going into it so now i i get you trust me i totally hear you but look man you know some big names came out of that show um and then again i'm a diehard i've seen you know pretty much every ufc show there's ever been so these are these are names to me maybe not to the common people but they are to me Names like, you know, Matt Wyman, Corey Hill, Cole Miller, Joe Lozon, you know, all, you know, I'm not going to use it. Nate Diaz, which we're going to. Manny Gambarian. Absolutely. Um, it was a stout yeah. class. I mean, it was, it was, you know, and then guys that were, were still like, like they were vets, but, um, you know, never made it. But Rob Emerson, he, oh, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he fought for a long time. Brandon Melendez, he was, he fought. That was that was kind of towards the end of his career. He was like on that TV show, and he had been fighting for a long time, you know. So there was the there was no easy week. Uh, there was a couple easy weeks, but you know every like every every scrap was yeah you, you had to be prepared for it. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, so for you, you had a quick finish over Wayne Weems. And then Brandon Melendez after that. And then so you get into the the semifinals of the show, which is usually the season finale before you go to the actual live event. And there you are against Nate Diaz for a shot at the finals. He submitted you in the second round. Now, I have the question worded like this. I said, that was your first ever loss. 
not on the record because clearly it didn't it didn't count as a pro loss, but still, mentally, that was mentally yeah. the first time you were in a cage where you walked out with the L. How hard yeah. was that to cope with, and how did it happen? How did it get you? That that was that was pretty hard to cope with, and again, um, you know, it's reality, but it's anything but reality because, like, the day before they tell us, okay, no, the the day of, like, possibly, you know, hey, this is going to be a three round fight because we were doing two round fights before, yep. you know, and you know, I think both of us, like, talking after, um, you know, both of us were. Everybody just wanted to get out of there, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's our fault for, for, you know, not being like as prepared, but then again, you're at the, you're at the mercy of, of how that coach trains. Maybe, maybe that's not how you train, but you can't look like a whiny baby, you know, like, ah, the training's terrible here. I mean, it makes good for TV, but you know, um, to a person that's just concentrating like on competing, uh, you know, it's like, it's tough. I spent a lot of time on the treadmill cause, um, you know, as people lost, they kind of started drinking, you know, not coming to practice. And, uh, yeah. you know, I spent a lot of time on the treadmill, you know, um, uh, going up against Nate, like round one, you know, I, I felt as if I, uh, you know, handled them pretty easy. Round two, it's just classic Nate. You know, he he stays in there. He's durable. Uh, you know, great conditioning, and um, you know, he caught me in that in that choke. Um, that was a little bit different loss because, um, you know, I was just happy to get out of there. I was happy to have all that like the show be done. You know, and actually get back to my real training you know, get back to my gym and, um, you know, I swore I would never do anything kind of like that again, because, um, it really took away from how, like I competed by how I trained and, and, uh, you know, my actions again, spoke like spoke afterwards, you know, I went back to the gym and I trained my ass off and, and, you know, kept to my stuff and, and, you know, came back, I beat Diaz, you know, I beat Edgar, I beat Dennis Seaver, I beat Clemente, I beat Florian, I beat all those guys, you know, I was like, Roger Hurto, no, Roger Hurto, I was like eight, nine and oh in the UFC. And by the time I got to the title shot, we had a draw. Like I'm, I'm literally on a 10 fight, like no loss, um, you know, streak. Eight of those are wins Two ones a no contest, which I still feel like, you know, I won and then, you know, a draw and, um, you know, so, um, well, let me ask like you, I, let me ask you this then. So, yeah. so I agree with you, Gray. Trust me, I do. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you know, as someone who watched every show, every, every fight card, me, you know, me and a very good friend of mine would always say, when is he going to get his title shot? When is he going to get his title right. shot? And, you know, I worded the next question like this. Because, number one, I do believe that you beat Rob Emerson on the, on the Ultimate Fighter. Maybe it makes for better TV, you know, the no decision. But yeah. to me, that was bull crap. So, yeah. my question is this. You know, just to kind of touch on what you're saying. You go on an eight. You got on a streak, okay, after that. Eight straight wins. All right. I got Frankie Edgar, Dennis Silver, Roger Herta. Nate Diaz, the same freaking guy who won the show, Nate Diaz. 
perennial title title contender Kenny Florian. Okay, you walk through. Un, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Frankie Yeager. You walk through all of them, right? Yet Dana White and the UFC balked at giving you a title shot because only one of those wins came the way of a finish. The rest of them were decisions. How frustrating was that? How ridiculous is that? You know, and at the time, um, it was kind of the number one contendership when I went against Diaz again, right? Mm -hmm. So so it was between me and Edgar. He was putting together a couple wins. Uh, He'd be Shirk, but he had another guy lined up with a decent name. Um, That guy dropped out. He got a guy named Matt Veach in... in uh, um, in the replacement, the guy took took the fight on two weeks' notice. He was kind of a wrestler guy, and um, uh, you know he just he didn't didn't have the stamina. He wasn't prepared. He TKO'd him in like round two. I'm going up against Nate Diaz, one of the most durable, um, toughest opponents you can you know you can have i mean i i i really it's hard to say like people who look great against you know like a diaz and it goes back to mma it's all show man and and they chose to go with um with edgar who um you know who already beat and uh maybe because he looked better but um, you know, and that's my problem with the USC is, is, is there's no, there's no, like, um, they control the rankings, they control their agenda, they control the narrative of, of, of what, what happens, you know? Yeah. And that goes to show you, I mean, is this a sport or is it more WWE or is it just for them to make money, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, I'd really like to believe that, but, um, you know, and again, this is, this is me kind of, um, uh, you know, coming out and, you know, like trying to talk about this is the UFC. I mean, if you think of the mega stars, the, the, you know, all the huge stars, the Biz Bings, the Conor McGregor, the Ronda Ruzies, the GSPs, those are all new markets. They they push those those guys because they're all new markets, right? Canada, mm-hmm. GSP, England, Biz Bing, Ronda Ruzie um, with the women, yeah. uh, Conor McGregor with Ireland. Now, don't get me wrong, they... they um, they had to work their ass off to get where they're at, but but you know there's 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 a story of like a nicer path compared to like a way harder path, you know, to get to places and and in sports we don't think about that because usually it's a tournament you know type deal, but mm-hmm. this isn't, you know. Well, let me you know, and it's funny too because we'll get back to the interview here. I got I think four more yeah. questions left. I think yeah, well, yeah, okay. four left. Thank you, but. Yeah. Now we got five left because <laughs> I got I got I got to throw this in because again, man, I've been watching this shit my whole life. I'm unbelievably passionate about it. Why is it fair, you know, to touch on your point right now? Okay, why is it fair a guy like uh, let's say John Bones Jones can't pass a drug test? Every other guy out there, all right, he he fails his piss test. Guess what? He's off the card. John Jones fails a fails a drug test, and they move the card from Vegas to California a couple years back. Who the hell else is that going to happen for? 
Yeah. No, it's just money, you know, and that's that's the agenda. Right. Is is, um, you know, and that's that's where it gets a little frustrating because you see these these guys that are just unbelievable like beasts that are uh, working their ass off just as hard, not getting paid as much because they don't have that it factor or whatever it is in the public eye. And, um, you know, again, they're pushing what's best for them, right? What's best for their brand, their money, not the athlete, you know? And, um, you know, and, and, and that just leads me to believe that, that, um, you know, they structured their, their, their company, not after, you know, not after a sport company, but, you know, a WWE, um, uh, you know, entertainment company. And this is, this isn't, this is entertainment for you guys, but it's not for us. This is real. This is real stuff that, that we go through a lot of pain for a lot of blood, a lot of tears. And, you know, again, you know, it's, we talk about, um, we talk about the pay, we talk about like all that stuff. And if you look at fighters in like as a whole, there are no laws protecting us contractually, financially, MMA fighters. There's the Ali act with boxers, but that doesn't cover, that covers combat sports. Well, combat sports doesn't cover MMA, you know? So, um, What's happened is, is, um, uh, like as our sport, we have no, we have no rules or laws and, and promoters are able to, you know, um, fulfill their agendas and, and what narratives that they want the sport to be or their promotion to be. Well, you know, the thing too, and I'll get to the final four questions here in a second, you know, I'm going to throw this out there, and if it causes me to lose my, my media credential, then it is what it is. But I, I've had something on, on, on my heart, and I've covered several UFCs. You know, everybody's been real good. But the thing about it is I've had this, you know, on my mind for a long time. A lot of people don't realize something. The, the, the UFC fighters don't get free tickets to shows, okay? Number two, they, they don't have health. From what I understand, you guys don't have health insurance, Unless you pay for it yourselves. When we're out of the U.S. the U.S.F.C., you know, it's it's pretty much done. When we're in the U.S.C., we have training injuries. Okay. So um, my last fight, like I had this weird uh, um, sickness that what Holloway had, you remember when he had that concussion deal, yeah, but absolutely. it wasn't a concussion deal. Me and my wife had it. We, we were slurring our words. We couldn't hold. And it was the exact same time that he had it. Uh, so I went into the hospital and, uh, they told me it was my liver and I'm trying to make a long story short. And, you know, I go through all this stuff and, and my liver was like through the roof. You know, I end up racking up these $80,000 bills and, you know, the USC doesn't cover that type of stuff, you know, and that, that's, that's one of the reasons, you know, on top of my long contract, a fight contract that I had to hurry up and, and jump back in the cage unprepared and not ready to go. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, just to kind of drive home that point too, it, there's travel, there's so many things that go, that are involved that people don't even realize you know, you're, you're allowed to have three guys in your corner or four guys in your corner, whatever it is. You know, a lot of times I've been told they, they charge, you know, for, for family to be there for tickets. And it's like if you want to go support 
a teammate, but you're not in his corner. You have to buy a ticket. I read a story one time where a guy like Daniel Cormier, who is an unbelievable ambassador of the sport and of the company, had to buy a ticket to go to uh, Khabib versus Conor McGregor last year. Stories like stories like that blow my freaking mind. Like that that should never be the damn case. You get you get you get three cornermen, right? Mm-hmm. You get two flights, one for you and one for a cornerman. You have to pay for the other two flights. You get one hotel room. That's insane. You know, and a lot of times when you're not making a lot of money, you're all in that hotel room. And, um, you know, I know, again, I know people who are making 10000 10000 a fight, lose a fight. They actually paid money to pay for their camp, to pay for you know, their, um, to pay for their expenses, to pay for all that stuff. They actually lost money on competing for the UFC. Yeah. And you're, you're okay. So on top of that, let's say you're at home, you're, you're Joe six pack. All right. You, yeah. you, you pay for the thing in HD at 70 bucks. All right. So you're telling me that you get a hundred people to pay 70 bucks or whatever that is, seven grand. You can't pay for an extra hotel room. You know, like you, the, the money's there. It's coming in. Why can't the company pay for more hotel rooms and flights and everything else? Again, I'm, I, I'm going to shut up before I get in a lot of trouble, but like this, these are just the things I've always wondered. Yeah, yeah, because the business model is don't let it go over 18%, 18% of the revenue. And, and, and the reason why is because, you know, they need, they, they're making an exorbitant like amount of money, billions of dollars, you know, billions and and uh you know to put the numbers on paper that looks good you know for a company uh you know but they they fail to remember that 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 it doesn't look good once this stuff starts getting out you know and they've held it down and held it back for a long time you know and you know dana white's a great talker he's 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 you know, he's a good promoter and, but you know, how good of a promoter he is. He has people that have to put food on the table. Like there's there, you know, even at the, even at the top, like I went into a title pay-per-view title fight, main event, you know, only guaranteed $26,000. That was my guaranteed money. Right. And I already spent, you know, 20 on training. Sure. You talk about taxes Walking in the cage, that's not, that's not a sport. That's life. That's like, fuck, I gotta, or. You're good. You're good. You're good. (laughs) But like, that's, that's like, dude, like I'm fighting for my life. That's it. You know? And that, that, that's where it's not a sport. That's where it's, it's, it's like, you know, when I say this and, and it's, you know, it could be kind of harsh, but it, it's true. You, you're like these little rich people's, uh, you know, game. Well, and, and the crazy thing here, you know, I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to get to these questions right now. But, you know, here locally, he only lives about 15 minutes from me, Stipe Miocic, our, our, our heavyweight champion of the world. You know what? That's why he has a day job, people. A lot of people will always ask me, why Why in the world does the UFC heavyweight champion have, why is he a fireman? Why does he have a paramedic? Why is he a day job? Well, that's the reason why, right there. You yeah. Listen to this interview, and you're going to find out quickly because once those fights are done, the income's done. You know, he's a very smart individual. Yeah, you know, he's a very smart individual, and you know, I'm a fan. He's he's uh, you know a tough cat, and he's done what he needed to do. You know, and um, you know, but again, 
that's why they don't want that type of stuff. That's why they don't want that stuff because now he can, he can, he can hold out if he has to hold out, you know, and that's why they were going to strip him. Like they were going to strip him because he was doing his job, you know, his other job. Yeah. Granted, he's making decent money, you know, but what, what's, what's really good money? Like, look at the Klitschko's compared to him. Yeah. Like, they, they wouldn't, you know, and I did an interview a couple of days ago. They wouldn't even crawl out of bed for, like, what he's getting paid. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously. yeah, I'm laughing because it's so, it's so pathetic. It's true. Yeah. You know, so um, that, that's kind of my knock on just the whole uh, the whole take on the UFC and and uh, like what's going on. And um, you know, again, I I don't feel like as if it's you, you know we classify it you know as a sport, but it's not really a sport, man. It's it's um, you know we're just kind of these little chess players to make the best you know, to make the best moves to where the UFC can make the most money. Well, you know, I do agree in a lot of ways and they're going to come back and always say, Hey, we gave you the platform. If it wasn't for us, your name wouldn't be out there to make money off your name. So I do, I understand that to an extent. I know my own personal feelings. Again, this is a interview and a podcast for a different day because I could really let loose on, on the, the studies I've done, the fighters I've spoken to, yeah, I mean, there, there's some major changes are needed. Some major changes are absolutely needed. But moving back to you here, as we kind of try to wrap things up for you, I, I, I don't want to take up your entire day. Now, you you had your final, you had your first shot at the title at UC 125. I want to say it was New Year's Day or the, maybe January 2nd against Frankie Edgar. And one, of, you know, many people, including myself, list this as one of the top five fights of all time. However, many fans, including myself felt that it should have been stopped in the first round and you should have won. I will never forget, I was at BW3s here in North Olmsted, Ohio, and the whole entire bar was North, or was uh, St. Ed's Eagles fans. I mean, this place nice, was yeah. green. The whole They were going crazy for you. We thought it was nice. over We thought it was over in the first. What was going through your mind when they didn't stop the fight? It ends up being a draw. Just, I mean, were you shocked that you didn't win or, or really kind of what was going through your mind through all that? Yeah, well, there was a shock. There was adrenaline rush. There was there was actually like if you look back at the stats, I threw probably a hundred power punches just in that in that round, and um, you know there, there was a lot of confusion. I mean, there was a lot going in that round one, you know, and um, like I guess to pat myself, you know, on the back is you know, you come back to the corner and you're just exhausted, a little confused, um, you know, adrenaline dumped and, um, you know, you, and, and again, hats off to him and pats on his back. He, he had to come back from that, you know, and, um, it, it was just like, we both had to get back to our corner and, and understand there's still a whole fight there's still four rounds to be fought, you know, and, and that's the crazy part about this sport. You you know, you got one minute to get your mind right, you know, and if you look at it, walking back to the corner, you got 40 seconds to get your mind right, you know, and to get your coaches, you know, to get your mind right. And, um, you know, could, could it have been stopped? Yes. But, um, you know, I think the big 
question I have in my mind is why are we doing a 10 point, 10 point must if there's no such thing under a 10, eight, right? Yeah. You know, you look at boxing, you got 10 sevens. I've never seen a 10, seven. Right. No, I know. I know. I mean, in boxing you do, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Like you watch, you watch the Marquez against Pacquiao. Pacquiao knocked him down three or four times in round one. Right. And it was a 10, six round. There was a couple cards. I, it was 10, six. And, um, you know, Marquez came back and he, he, he worked his way all the way back to a draw. Right. I can understand that, but I felt like if any fight had more than a 10, eight round, that was a fight to where you could have gave me a 10 to seven round pretty easy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's my coral, you know, like stopping it. It's up to the ref, but, but if you look at the points, I should have been, you know, like up on the points, 10, seven, even more. Like if there were, but even at, at least a 10 to seven, he won round two, uh, you know, per, like pretty handily, but it wasn't a 10, eight. I won three, he won four. Then you could even score the fifth round a draw, you know, but, mm-hmm. but that's, uh, that's just kind of where our, where, where we're broken a little bit too. And, you know, the aspect of 10 point must, you know, is, is, you know, the most, just tell us the most you guys can get is a 10, eight, you know, if that's the case. Yeah. And the thing too, is you wait 10 months to get a rematch, which again is absurd, but you wait 10 months, you get the rematch. You're there again, October 8th. I want to say it was off the top of my head. And that's, what's crazy is I don't, I don't even have these freaking stats in front of me. I just, that, that much damn of a diehard loser with no other life. But, but <laughs> no, I, mean, I got a wife and kids, but no, seriously, like, I just, I, I remember these memories so good. But you wait 10, you wait 10 months, okay? You get in there again, and does not the same damn thing happen again? Here we go again, where a lot of people think it could have been over in the first round. How come that fight wasn't stopped? Ultimately, you went on, I want to say, lost in the fourth, but just unbelievable night yet again. What was going through your mind again? You know, just, um, it was just a repeat, you know, but, uh, um, you know, I needed it to be, you know, I needed to be a little bit more calm. So going back to, you know, going back to the corner in round, uh, one, it was just, you know, like I knew to stay calm, knew, um, didn't have a big adrenaline, adrenaline dump, you know, of course there was a little bit, but, um, you know, it was just like, all right, here it goes again. You know, two questions left for you here. Second to last question. A few flights later, um, you go on to fight Nate Diaz again. And this was a, another great trilogy because, you know, I, I count any fight as a fight. So the, the fight in the house, I count as a fight. So basically, yeah. you know, trilogy fight yet again. Um, yeah. You know, and honestly, how much did you see him improve from the time you knew him in the house until that third fight? How leaps and bounds, how much better did he get? You know, he, he was the, the same Diaz, um, you know, the, the, they've just always had pretty good boxing, you know, great, uh, you know, jujitsu, um, you know, and again, it's, it's, it comes back to, uh, um, 
you know, I had to start doing other stuff. I was even off those Edgar fights, my pay didn't increase that much. My pay went from 26 and 26 on the, um, the, uh, the first, uh, the first title fight to just 42 and, and 42 for the second title fight, no pay-per-view points, no nothing. And, um, you know, I ended up like moving up to the Bay area, which if I lost a fight, 42 grand is poverty up there, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I remember I was remodeling houses and stuff when I was training for Diaz, you know, um, that, that, that understanding I got once I got to the title fight, you know, of like, you know, you can do, you can give them the best shows. You can, you can put on the best fights, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're still gonna, they're still gonna rake you over the coals, you know, on money. And, uh, you know, against Diaz, like, I mean, was a passion there? Not really. It was just, I was remodeling my house eight hours a day, going to practice and, and, uh, you know, just doing, just kind of taking the money that's, that was left on the table, like in MMA. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those realities that, that you start understanding once you dive a little bit deeper into the numbers and, and, you know, the trajectory, the trajectories of like, like what their, what their narrative kind of wants to be. And, and, you know, that's keeping people's pay as low as possible. Well, you know, one last question for you here. And the thing about it too, for me, you know, again, a good friend of mine is Mike Goldberg. One thing that always bugged me about Goldie is he never got a proper farewell. I understand he's with Bellator now, but you know if you look back to his last pay per view performance, uh, Ronda Rousey's loss she got destroyed by Amanda Nunes. You know that fight ends and then that's it. And then we know that Goldberg, you know, it was released days before that. That would be his last pay per view, last event with the company. Here's this guy, the voice of the company, gets let go, zero explanation given, no farewell, no you know jack shit, nothing. I always thought it was terrible. So, you know, a guy like you, a pioneer with, with, with the Ultimate Fighter, all of it, man, from day one, just all of it. And here we are now, you know, what do you what do you expect to happen to you in the future? Are you going to try to, you know, make things right with them? Are you going to move to Bellator? Are you going to say the hell with it? Or, you know, remodel houses for a living? What, you know, seriously, like, and, and by the way, if I ever come out your way, man, we're going to have to grab a beer because you are just too Definitely. cool. This Definitely. this has been a blast. <laughs> this, yeah. this has been a blast. But, well, you know, one last question. What is your farewell gonna gonna be? When is it gonna be? What's your plans for the future, my man? My farewell was already done. We um, we we parted ways uh, um, in 2018, you know, and and uh, my farewell was was pretty much, um, you know, they've been trying to get me to retire for a long time because I was under contract, and they want anybody, you know, that has you know, that has a name to retire under contract because you're still under contract. They still own you if you're under contract. And he's been asking me, he's, he signed me to an eight fight deal and asked me to re- retire one fight into it. So, you know, this last fight, uh, you know, didn't really go the way I wanted. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he calls me up. He's like, I want you to retire, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what? I'm just trying to get through my contract. Just give me the release, you know, and gave me the release. And, and, and again, um, 
you know, with Goldie and with me and, um, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're worried about building their brand. They're not, they're not worried about, you know, um, you know, like honoring people who help them grow the sport, who help them grow their brand. But, uh, you know, they're just, what's next for our brand? What can we do to make our brand bigger? And, uh, you know, anybody that does speak out, you know, it's, it's, if you're under contract, it's, you know, it's not good. And, um, uh, you know, Goldie, um, you know, I think he might've spoke out a little bit and that's kind of what happened. And then, um, with me, you know, I, I still feel great. I still want to compete. Um, you know, but again, I'm not going to compete for what I competed, competed for with them. It's just not worth it. Right. It's not worth it because you can't pay the coaches, right? You can't pay half my career getting up to the title. I was, I was spending more than, than I was even making, you know, on, Mm -hmm. on getting to be the best. And that's, that's what I'm, that's what I need to do. But when you're locked into a contract and you start doing the numbers, it's hard to say like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, like, I'm going to spend, you know, way more on my training. And, uh, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, I'm the type of guy, I'm a fighter and I will always stand behind all those guys and girls, you know, and I will, um, you know, speak out and do whatever I need to do to make it fair for these, these guys and girls who are, who are bleeding, who are sweating, who have the tears and, um, you know, I'll stand up and, and, you know, try to make it right. Because again, we have laws to protect their health. Like go get a physical, go, you know, go get a blood test. The promotion has to have insurance on the night of, okay, great. But there's no, there's no protection, you know, for us, like financially, there's no protection contractually. There's no protection after the sport. There's nothing, there's nothing. And a lot of people, you know, are starting to see that with kids coming up and, and, you know, I just had a kid graduate from college, went through a whole camp and, um, you know, he watches this guy compete and he lost money on his, you know, he lost money on the fight, you know, just by doing this. And he looked at me, he's like, is this, is this how it is? And I said, yeah, it is, man. Like this, you know, like you have to, 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 to catch a couple breaks, you have to, you know, there's a lot that goes into being, to making this sport worth it, you know? Well, here I am, I've been doing this for many years, and the common, because we, 95% of what we cover is high school sports, and a lot of people have asked me, they said, well, how come so many kids nowadays are going out for soccer? How come so many kids nowadays are going out for lacrosse? Vince, you cover boxing all the time, but how come boxing's not popular anymore? Here's the thing. These parents are smart to it now, and now they're starting to sign their kids up for these sports where they think they're never going to get hurt. Whether it's bullshit or not, that's what they think, right? Yeah. So yeah. because because they look into it and say, wait a second, here's all these football players with CTE. Here's all these right. MMA fighters who can't do crap after they retire because they're so beaten down and, and broken. Same with boxers. Why the hell are we going to put our kids in those sports? What yeah. wrestling, wrestling too, wrestling, hockey, all of it. The, the numbers are so depleted right now. It's sickening. 
of the amount of yeah. kids who go out for hockey and the amount of kids who out, go out for wrestling, some high schools don't even have programs anymore because because of those things. Number one, there is no pro wrestling, no offense to Nick, but truly there is no actual yeah. pro wrestling. So they, right. they, they, they look down on that, which is wrong, but still, you know, so I, I honestly hope in my heart of hearts, a lot of people hear this interview, a lot of people hear what you've had to say, because to me, this is stuff I've been preaching for years. And again, I want to thank you again and just let you know, you are welcome. Anytime you need to get something off your chest, you call me and we'll get it done. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, and, and, and just for any parents, you got to look at, you, you, you got to look at those sports, you know, um, like especially wrestling, you know, and the payoff isn't, isn't, um, you know, competing. It's really what you build, you know, and, uh, the, the, the attitude you build in life. Like I know a lot of wrestlers who, who were great wrestlers, but you know what, after college they were done and they moved on to wall street. They moved on to business. They moved on to a lot of different aspects and they just apply that to, to that sport or to that, to that, to that part of their life is, is what you put in is what you get out, you know? And I think like wrestling is a physically demanding sport. It really is. But, um, what you get out of it, you know, and, and, and not a lot of people make money off like, yeah, people who, who own tournaments and stuff like that, they make decent money, but it's, you know, um, it's a great sport, you know, and, uh, if you can keep your kids in it and I hope it grows because it does, uh, you know, it does teach a lot. Absolutely. And great. We want to thank you. I figured I'd have you on 10 to 15 minutes. We are approaching yeah. the, the hour, <laughs> the hour That's mark. All right. So, That's all, right. all good, man. And uh, I meant what I said. If uh, you if you ever come back home to Northeast Ohio, look me up, and uh, vice versa. Cool. If I come out your way, sound good? Yeah, you owe me a beer then. Yeah, I owe you six. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Have a good one, bud. You too. Bye, Bye now. Bye. So that was a great time. I figured it would be Gray Maynard, a MMA legend, uh, just a just a really good guy there. So. Um, and take heart to what he said. You know, a lot of what he said was the 100% truth. There's a lot of things uh, these fighters go through that no one knows. Um, you know, I learned it on the on the independent circuit uh, with certain promotions I had worked with when I first got my start. Um, you know, in broadcasting. And yeah, no doubt about it. There's there's a lot of training that goes into this that's unpaid for. A lot of people can't work an everyday job because they have to train all day, and the money doesn't come in like you would think it would. It's just it, it's really is sad. Um, mixing the health insurance, the health benefits, and everything else that don't occur once you're out of that cage. And it's not all glamorous like everybody seems to think sometimes. So we want to thank Graham Maynard, thank the uh, St. Edward Wrestling Program as well. Everybody have a great day, and you've been listening to Key on Sports.